Welcome to Plural Space, Conversations in Lung Cancer. In this new limited series entitled The Power of Partnerships, we connect medical professionals and patients across the care continuum for real conversations about lung cancer. Each episode will focus on one facet of this complicated field and feature the people striving to make it better. Hello, I'm Dr. Debbie Dyer, and I am a thoracic radiologist and chair of the American College of Radiology Lung Cancer Screening Steering Committee. And I am joined today by Rhonda Mextroff and Gina Hollenbeck to talk about the importance of patient-centered care in lung screening. Rhonda, to start us off, why are you so passionate about changing the face of lung cancer, and what would that look like to you? Well, hello, my name is Rhonda Mextroth, and I have been an advocate for lung cancer since 2015 when my husband was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I think for me, like changing when I hear someone talk about or what I think about changing the face of lung cancer really has to do with acknowledging what we taught out there in society, what we said, and how it's really kind of a learned behavior. And I don't even want that to be like a negative, like the fact that there was a very successful lung cancer campaign that talked mainly about preventing, you know, lung cancer and tobacco addiction. So I just think that that was an important message. It was something that was needed to be said and that the system isn't really broken. It's just how we built it right? So it's like people are educated about lung cancer in the way that we taught it. And so for me, moving forward, I really want us to expand that public education awareness to still talk about prevention, but move us into all the other amazing things that have happened. You know, how important early detection and screening and biomarker testing and research, and most importantly, like survivorship and just advancing that story and not within in the choir, but publicly talking about big changes that have happened in lung cancer and how we've progressed and how there's been this rapid development in lung cancer. And that's how I see changing the face of lung cancer and how I want us to evolve that message. Gosh, I appreciate your thoughts so much. I think that you've obviously lived this and you know in your heart what directions we need to go. And I'm curious, Gina, can you share with us what you think it would look like to change the face of lung cancer? Sure. My name is Gina Hollenbeck, and I'm a nurse who was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2015, stage four. And at that point, they said incurable and inoperable. So I'm excited to say that I've made it six years living with stage four lung cancer. So it is exciting, even after going to nursing school and learning about the risk factors of cancer, particularly lung cancer. You know, I think it turned out that smoking was a risk factor for getting lung cancer. And that was kind of one of the things we learned as even healthcare providers. And that turned into our head as smoking is the cause of lung cancer. And I think that's what contributed a lot to the stigma that's associated with lung cancer. So at 38 years old, my only symptom was a cough. It was difficult for me to get diagnosed because I had no history of cancer in my family and no history of smoking. And so that stigma that was associated with cancer led me to 
four misdiagnoses with doctors. So it was not until I actually self-paid for a chest x-ray at a diagnostic imaging center that I actually was taken seriously. So you can see that I knew something was wrong as a nurse. I took that x-ray to the ER and then they took me seriously. My hope is that we can change that, that smoking is the cause of lung cancer to smoking is a risk factor of not only lung cancer, but of other kinds of cancer, at least eight other different kinds of cancer. So smoking cessation is extremely important, but I hope that it's not always just stuck with lung cancer. It's a very unhealthy habit that can lead to lots of diseases. I hope that we can open up that narrative too, and that when it comes to lung cancer, we can see that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. Very well put. (laughs) I wonder, what's the secret to your success, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say that it's definitely the success of research. And without research, we would not be in the place where we are with new targeted therapies coming along, learning more about the DNA of cancer and learning what's driving cancer and how to stop it. So that's where the success comes in, that there are so many people who are willing to devote their time and energy to the research and learning more about cancer. Instead of saying, hey, this is what we have and this is the best we can do, people are still trying trying to go past that and give us new medications and new things and new treatments and new targets. It's not my success. I think it's a success of everybody. I think that's so true. You know, it is just remarkable, really, what kind of progress has been made in recent years in treating lung cancer. And Rhonda, I'm curious, from your perspective, what do you think that patients like your husband need? What are we not providing to folks that have been diagnosed with lung cancer? Well, I can tell you one of the main points that I like to vote a lot of my advocacy towards is meeting the people right at the diagnosis level. And I think even though both Gina and Jeff were both diagnosed, you know, in 2015, both of us are connected to where we're listening to patient stories, you know, every single day. It's kind of sad to me that in that six-year range period, I can still see a lot of similarities in the stories of diagnosis. Even as every year progresses, you know, we're six years in, I still can relate. I can still get emotional about the emotional process of the original diagnosis. And I think some of those big things that we can really impact is kind of preparing people ahead of time in terms of what to expect if you have a cancer diagnosis, you know, having frank conversations about the importance of second opinions, you know, having an academic cancer center or a cancer center that is up to date and has current policies and procedures and appropriate treatment, not experimental, NCCN guideline proven testing treatment. And I really think that in most cases, when families get that news of a lung cancer diagnosis, and I can say for both Gina and us, it was a complete shock. And some of it had to do with that education that we talked about earlier, that we were not educated to even know that that was a possibility, you know, that Jeff could have stage four lung cancer. And I think that you're emotionally in shock and now you're 
thrown into this where you've got to make decisions and all this information and all this wording that you know nothing about. And too many cases, the families are left to struggle through that and navigate that all on their own. So I'd really love to be able to see it change to where we can automatically, you know, have processes in place that not only educate the patient prior to a diagnosis and what's important about what you need to know, but making sure that you're emotionally met at that diagnosis and then provided, be given somebody, right? A phone number, a contact, a support group, a system in place that helps you to be able to navigate and understand, do we have time to make decisions? Do we need to go right from here into a radiation consult or into a surgical consult? And really, you know, also too about the mental health aspect of this kind of journey. And because I am a caregiver, I also want to say that we really have to talk about how this is a family disease and how this is a family diagnosis. And it impacts not only the person that's diagnosed, but their caregiver and their continuing on support system, their children. We have to involve everybody and make sure everybody's getting what they need, you know, whether or not that's mental health or counseling. Yeah, certainly understand that. So I am curious, what might the radiologist be able to do for you? Within the American College of Radiology, we really have major effort toward patient and family-centered care and trying to figure out what role can radiology have in supporting the patient and the family through a diagnosis, whether it originates from screening or throughout the whole process. Do you have any thoughts on that? How might a radiologist help you and your family? To my diagnosis and when it comes to radiology, I mean, for the most part for us, I had cyber knife. And I think as far as the radiology support, there could be some things that we could implement. And I think that one of them is better technology, if I'm completely honest. I mean, one, I think we need screening. We need some way that is safe to screen patients, to find them at early stages that is reliable too, so that we're not giving false positive results. So I think we need better screening. When it comes to MRIs, knowing the difference between what is post-radiation necrosis and what is progression, that's something that I think is a major flaw when it comes to radiological care that not all patients have access to. So I think that's another thing. When it comes to the radiologist supporting patients, of course, I think that the best thing is to make sure that patients are educated and informed and make sure that you know their families are involved in the care when it comes to radiation oncology and things like CyberKnife, what to expect next and what to expect whenever someone is receiving radiation as a part of their treatment and care. So, of course, family needs to be involved in that. So, I think that when we work collaboratively and we include patients in the decision-making and moving forward with their care, that's the best way that radiologists can work with the patients and their families. I understand that. I appreciate that a lot. I'm curious along the way, did your healthcare providers show you your images in the case of Gina or uh, Rhonda, your husband's images? 
I asked for them and that helped me a lot in understanding what was going on with my disease. So, you know, reading a report is one thing, but when you actually see it for yourself, then you can actually see, you know, how much has it grown or how much brighter is it on my PET scan? And it was about the same as it was last time. So I don't really have to worry about this spot that, you know, they're talking about. So it really helps me to look at the images. I've had other people say, you know, you're not a radiologist. Why would you look at your images? But to me, it really helps me to not only read about it, but also to see what it is. That visual is very impactful to me personally as I'm moving along in my diagnosis. And I've got to think that that's probably something that, you know, like Gina has a medical background. So to me, that makes like perfect sense that she would probably be engaged at that level, maybe even at the start of her diagnosis. But I think, you know, probably she could be more of a rarity. I think not a lot of people do. There's a lot of people that talk about they've never read reports. They've never looked at the images. There's lots of people that say they've never read like their biomarker testing results. So I think as a society, we're kind of of really taught, trained, that when we walk into a medical professional's office, that they know everything and what they're saying is what we need to do and that we really don't have a say-so. Not that somebody has told us, don't have an opinion, don't have a question, but we're kind of just preconditioned or trained, I think, to feel that way. And so a lot of times you're just walking through the motions and then you're more getting home and like talking with like your family or your spouse or someone else instead of doing that. And that's why I was saying earlier, Deb, that I really think it's so important that we get to people even before they have a diagnosis to be able to understand how important it is to be an engaged patient in your healthcare and what decisions are being made and to ask those questions and to seek second opinions. And I think where I sit today as somebody who really leads Jeff's treatment plan and where we were when we were diagnosed just two completely different people. Oh, I'm sure the experience that both of you have now acquired over the years, we would love to be able to package that up, I suppose, (laughs) (laughs) and be able to just provide that to other patients and other families because it is so important, even from my perspective. So I'm a diagnostic radiologist and I lead a screening program and I have tried so hard to make sure that, for instance, my reports are clear, at least I try to think about how a patient or a family member might be reading the report and make sure it's clear. But I've also been interested in how the radiologist might be able to support the families and patient in showing them the images and being clear of, you know, like you say, even before you have a diagnosis, if it's maybe just even a suspicious nodule, how to support the patient at that stage and point out to them what we're looking at and what the suspicious features are and what we're going to be watching for. But, you know, that's my medical mind at work. And I suppose it's really much more important to understand from your perspective, what else might you want to know? I think one of the things I heard you say is you have questions and probably a lot of those questions come up after the visit. So it's almost like if you could have a checklist (laughs) when you go in to meet with your provider and be able to go through all those important items, what would it be? What would you be asking? 
Well, and I think it's interesting that you bring this up because I would say rather than the images, the reports, the information, all that is so important. But if I had a radiologist that was coming into the room and actually sitting there and right, it's all about relationships. And so much of this journey is about hope. It's about relationships. It's about feeling supported. It's about, you know, having that emotional connection and really building that trust and that relationship with your medical team. And so, you know, I think that's a great idea. I've never personally had that experience where I've had a radiologist, actually, you know, it's usually more our oncologist that's doing that. But I love that concept, that idea of being able to actually meet that person that actually is doing the job and actually knows the information and would be able to answer the questions. And I think that's going to go a long way in helping me to build my confidence in the care that we're receiving. I agree. And then, you know, I think as a patient, one of the hardest things is the weight. So you get your scans and then a lot of times you don't get immediate results. Maybe it even takes two or three days to get in your EMR for you to check in your patient portal what the report says. And that's one of the hardest things. So it'd be so wonderful if after your scans, you knew what they said. And it kind of always feels a little bit weird. It feels like I know that MRI tech saw something, but she doesn't want to tell me or you know what I mean? So Uh it would be so great to be able to talk to a radiologist like right after the scans and to know what the images said and then to be able to prepare for your oncologist visit to think, okay, like now I know the situation, what are we going to do about it? And, you know, hopefully get in touch with your oncologist quickly after that. So really what we're discussing is just having as a patient, you're more informed, you're engaged and empowered, really. If you have all the information you can get at your fingertips, it just makes more sense that you would feel more confident and more encouraged. And as you've mentioned several times, it just gives you more hope to think that you really can make a difference as the time goes along. You know, I marvel at just how both of you have very positive attitudes and That's something else I wish we could just bottle up (laughs) because you hear this, that attitude is so important. And I can feel that from both of you just in listening to you. And I wonder if there is just some other sort of magic to it all that you think that our audience might be interested in to really feel empowered in this process. I think Gina would have to agree with me that where we sit today, I mean, this has been a long journey to where we are today in terms of our knowledge, our empowerment, even our attitude. But I do think that there was a switch for me. I just remember in the beginning, we were constantly facing every single decision that we made on looking at it through the lens of death. That was just the way that we view, well, we would do this, but, you know, we can't because you have lung cancer. And we kind of almost stopped living, right? We were kind of just focusing on the thought that Jeff had a terminal diagnosis. You know, Jeff's a farmer. He's in harvest right now. Going into, I think it might have been maybe our third harvest And Jeff said, you know, if I didn't have lung cancer, I'd buy a new combine. And I just remember that conversation changed how we looked at things. And from there on out, we started saying, you know what? We're going to start living with lung cancer. We're going to start every day 
you know, just being who we were before the cancer diagnosis as much as you can. You know, there's treatment side effects, the anxiety, all that stuff is real. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like we try and face every day. We try and just be who we are, live with lung cancer. And I think because Gina and I both know so many people that haven't had the experience that we've been able to have that have lost loved ones or that didn't have, you know, a targeted therapy or immunotherapy or only had months, you know, we know what that other side looks like. So it's like, I just want to really be grateful every day for every moment that we have. And I would just say to anyone else that it is a winning strategy, right? It helps my mental health, my physical health. It helps our relationship to be able to look at it from a more grateful living point of view. I see that. I get that. My goodness. What a wonderful way to express that and think about that. So Gina, I'm curious if there's just any sort of message that you might have, I think, as we probably will be wrapping up here shortly in our conversation. You've mentioned a couple times a little bit about screening. Do you have thoughts of where you think screening should go for patients? I mean, you had a chest x-ray and of course for screening, we advocate CT screening, but right now the eligibility criteria are only for those patients who have smoked. What are your thoughts? How could we create a screening program that would be ideal? Well, I think that I'm the perfect example that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. So I think our screening criteria should also reflect that, that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. So I think that we have to get to a point where we realize and release the stigma from lung cancer. So I hope that the criteria can reflect that, which would mean, you know, screening for everybody. And, you know, in reality, I think we need to celebrate it more, right? We need to talk about it. I think in some ways, when you look at like those people who are out there speaking and advocating, they're beyond the stage of screening. So sometimes they can have the mentality of how does that impact me or how does that help me? And so a lot of times we fail to talk more about screening, about how important it is. I think, you know, in the whole big scheme of things, screening is how we'll come to a cure. Even when you think of in the last year or so that the screening process did change, right? There was an age difference. That should have been celebrated at the highest level that we had this huge you know, switch and change, you know, in the age. And not only that, but now we're starting to see, you know, hey, should we look at professions, you know, like the military, firefighting, and then just creating these different dynamics that as screening gets more celebrated, I think we've got to get institutions that are willing to put systems in place to be able to see, you know, changes in that. That's the hope, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, you two are just such great spokespeople for how we view folks with lung cancer. And I love the whole idea of living with lung cancer and being grateful, but also celebrating those who have done so well as both of you have. And I just really, really want to thank you both for your thoughts and sharing so much of what you've been through and the great advice that you provided here today. I greatly appreciate the opportunity of having spent some time with you and wish you both very well. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Dyer. Thank you. Plural Space is a joint production by the American College of Radiology and the National Lung Cancer Roundtable. Episodes were produced by Hannah Burson. 
with series production assistance by Tiffany Gowan, Lauren Rosenthal, and Kenley Byrne. Editing of this series is by Port City Films. A webinar on this episode's topic, as well as additional information, can be found at the link in the episode description. (music) 